This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by the worker owners of Come As You Are. Come As You Are has the peculiar distinction of being the world's only worker-owned cooperative sex shop. With feminist and anti-capitalist values, Come As You Are only carries sexuality products that they truly believe in at the lowest price possible. Get free shipping at www.comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Cripple Content Creations presents Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability, with your host, Andrew Gerza. Disability After Dark, with Andrew Gerza, shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Oh wow, I'm so glad that we are here doing this and this is actually hopefully recording. Fingers crossed, all the things, because it has taken me now two hours to get you this intro, two hours to even put this together because my computer is a piece of shit and I'm going to the store next week to get a new one and I'm so, so excited because I literally want to run over my computer, which is how shitty this one is being to me right now. I can barely record this episode and if it it gets out and and it sounds relatively good, I'll I'll be kind of happy. But uh, that's kind of where I am. I started wanting to edit this and get it ready around, it's now 8 o'clock. I started at 6 o'clock, probably earlier, and I've had to turn off the computer 75 quadrillion times. So the fact that we're here and you're all listening to this right now is a testament to the awesomeness of the world because I didn't think we would be here, so thanks for listening. Anyway, um, let's get started on today's episode. And also, it's winter time here. I'm looking outside and it's dark at 8 o'clock. And for those of you in Australia, and I know there are like a thousand of you in Australia who are listening to this show because I see the stats from from places in the world where you all listen. Australia has a thousand, which I think is so awesome because they're on the other side of the world. And thank you a thousand people who want to learn about sexuality and disability in Australia. If you want me to come to Australia and do a talk over there or do one via Skype. If you're listening, let's have a chat because I want to go where it's summer and it's summer over there right now. Also, other cool stats for people who are listening in the world. I know that I have big audiences in San Fran and New York. Um, So, hey, if you want me to come over there, I would love to do a talk over there or just be in in either of those places again. Um... Thank you all of you for listening who make this show go. It means so much to me. I love also seeing the little one or two dots in places where I wouldn't think the show would go. Places like um, South Africa gets gets one or two dots here and there. Places like Russia gets a dot here, here and there. Uh, and given the climate in those places, I really appreciate you listening. Thank you. Um, it means a lot wherever you are in the world that you listen. Uh, but if, if particularly Australia, New York, and San Fran, if you want me to come and do a talk, uh, uh, let's, let's be in touch. 
One quick side note, too, another awesome Andrew news. I, uh, I had to cancel sex dates this weekend because I got a UTI because my catheter is a piece of shit. So I, my dick is burning, my dick is hot in every sense of the word, and I had to cancel sex because of that. So it's been a really craptacular weekend when I'm trying to edit this, this awesome episode, but enough about my hot dick. In every sense of the word, my hot, searing, painful pee dick. Um, let's get to the episode. For this episode, I sit down with somebody that I've only ever talked to via Twitter. I love Twitter because it really connects me to a lot of people that I've had on the show. And it really allows for me to talk to everybody and bring bring this brand out. So I met this person on Twitter and they said, "Oh my god, I love your show. I listen to you. I listen to your show and I'd love to I'd love to be on." And I said, "Amazing. Fantastic. Let's figure it out." So I sat down with my new friend, Sarah Camps. They live in Indianapolis, Indiana. They work at a university doing doing they do something cool there. I can't remember their exact title, but they do something cool there around queerness and outreach and all that kind of stuff and so we talk about their experiences of being autistic queer and disabled and what that means for them their experiences of intimacy queerness and autism and how how intimacy and autism and disability feel for them we talk about how to engage university programs around the intersections of queerness and disability and how important that is we also talk about her living in the Midwest, her relationship with her her husband, and how all of that manifests for her. It was a really fun conversation. I was lucky to have it. So without further ado, here's my interview with Sarah Camps right here on Disability After Dark. Hey, friend. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Um, where are you right now? Well, I'm currently uh, in Indianapolis. Awesome, awesome. So you're literally like right in the middle of America. Yep, it's literally known as the Crossroads of America, so I'm like smack dab in the middle. Wow, that's like, that's, and I've been to like Iowa, and I've been to like, you know, to like, where else? Iowa and like Illinois, so I've been kind of in that middle area. There's a lot of farmland there, hey? Oh, yeah. I mean, I live in an area that has, um, I'm right on the outskirts of Indy, and there's a bit of farm, like, across the street from me, there's a, there's a farm, uh, uh, there's a field, uh, but um, I'm, I'm not, like, in the middle of nowhere. I actually have civilization around me, like, 15, 20 minutes away, I've got downtown Indy. And is that, like, I, I have never been there, is that, like, a, is that like a big... That's where, like, that's where, that's where all the NASCAR stuff goes there, right? Um, right. It's a town right next door called Speedway. Uh, that is where that's that is where Indianapolis Motor Speedway is. That's where they have the Indy 500 and NASCAR and all that stuff going on there. That sounds that sounds really like mask for mask, which <laughs> yeah, oh um, yeah, which is like Seriously. which is like which is like weirdly not. My, I'm not <laughs> like I'm. <laughs> Um, that's not my thing. Like, if you throw in some, like, some, like, I'm just, like, I'm all about the, like, the NASCAR drivers, but I could, I don't care so much for the sport. The drivers, yeah. I'm all about that, but the sport, not so much. <laughs> I'll tell you, IndyCar has cuter drivers. Well, IndyCar drivers, hit me up. 
um, <laughs> so we started this interview without really introducing who you are, and we just started having conversation. And I didn't. And so let's backtrack a minute and say, hi, who are you? And tell me about yourself. Well, my name is Sarah Camps. Um, I currently work at a uh, LGBTQ office at a university in Indiana. I, I I'm um, well. I'm pretty boring. <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm pansexual and non-binary. Um, I am uh, married to a great cishet guy and mother of four lovely cats. That's basically my life. Wow! Awesome. Wait, so you are the mother of four cats, or you're married to the mother of four cats? I am the mother of four cats. I mean, I'm married. I'm married to a pretty good cishet guy. Because well, because I was I was like maybe they're married to both. I was like I better just check. <laughs> no, I don't get that weird. <laughs> no, no, I'm the mother of the cats. My gender is cat lady. I saw that on your on your um on your blog today when I was looking up questions to talk to you about. I pulled up yeah. your blog and I was like, I love that your blog is my gender is cat lady. And it also that also might be that might be the title of this episode. I haven't decided yet, but I feel like excellent. I might yeah, my, that. my blog that I still need to actually write in, but I have some I have some posts planned that I plan to put on there soon, so it won't be empty for long. <laughs> Amazing, and when when it gets fuller, we'll I'll make sure to have links to it, and we'll Excellent. get it out there. So so tell me a bit about you, Sarah. Tell me just let's give me the lowdown. Okay, well, um, I'm multiply disabled. I'm autistic. Um, I also deal with fibromyalgia. I deal with mental illness, bipolar disorder, anxiety. I have some other conditions that are just kind of like low level, I guess you could say. Uh, so I just try to navigate through life, just a, just just um, accommodating all of that stuff. Um, that sounds. At once. That sounds fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Question it's, mark. It, yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. You, it's it's like you do. I'm I'm learning more. Ab- I'm 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 33, but I'm still learning more about myself and my conditions and how my body and my mind function on a daily basis. And so it's it'll be like I would there'll be like something that I did. I did one way for the longest time and it was so difficult. And then I find a suggestion to try it a different way. And then I do it and it's like, bam, it's, it's like, why did I put myself through that hell for so long? I could have just did it this easier way, you know? Um, it's especially with my body and um, my ADHD. Those are fairly new diagnoses. My fibro I've had for about three and a half years. Okay. Um, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was 29, and so those have been really big adjustment periods over the past few years. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me more about like that. T- tell me more about all that adjusting stuff. Yeah, it's it's just like you know you you have a body and you have a mind, and it's worked like a certain way for a long period of time, or and things just seemed difficult for such a long period of time and you assume that that's just how it is it's just meant to be difficult but then you get a diagnosis and it's like oh there's a reason why i'm this way and so you start modifying things and you're like 
I could have been doing this the easier way all this time. And so it's just like, it's like going through another adolescence. And I feel like I'm going through that in a lot of ways, not just with my disabilities and stuff like that, but also with my sexuality and my gender. You know, I just came out um, as pansexual a little over a year ago. And Congratulations. Of- welcome <laughs> to you. the, to the, I'm not, I'm not part of that community specifically, but I just welcome to that, to like the whole new identity. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, and I just came out as uh, non-binary this year, and so those have been like, ah, I'm going through like a second puberty, like learning about myself and everything, and it's just been pretty exciting. That's awesome. And so how, how in your experience, how does all of that kind of relate to disability? How, like, how, does, how does your disability and your multiple diagnoses and your multiple um, disabilities that you're living with, how... Do, does all of that play in with your different identities as well? I think me being autistic has been a big factor in my sexuality and gender. I, um, it, it's, it's, um, I believe like it's been found that, um, a, like there's like a higher rate of LGBTQ people in the autistic community than there is in the general population. Wow. I think it's okay. something like I think it's something like 30%. I mean, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought I saw like 30%. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we don't always think in binaries. We we don't uh, take like nor- certain norms, in this case, like sexuality norms and gender norms. We don't take them as like, you know, if someone says this is how it is because that's just how it is. A lot of times we kind of question that. We're, yeah. we're just kind of like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Well, what if you can do, I mean, why is it just A or B? Why can't you also do C, D, or E, and so forth? And um, I think that's really why we're more open to being more fluid in different parts of our lives, including gender and sexuality. So you, that's, and that's so awesome. So you would, you would, it sounds like you're saying that, like, in a way, autism has allowed you to embrace your gender fluidity much more freely because you're autistic i think yeah i i don't think i'm gender fluid and pansexual because i'm autistic like i don't think like my autism has caused me to be uh gender fluid and pansexual but i think it's made me more open to the concept and made me want to learn more about it and therefore i was able to learn more about something that i that I had always been the whole time and that for a while I just didn't have like the language or knowledge or understanding of it but I think the natural curiosity in me and the willingness to look beyond black and white has really and you know look into all those different shades of gray has really helped me learn who I am you know much better you know and, um, and and just, yeah, I think it's a positive influence on it. I think they're both positive influences on each other. That's awesome because so often when we talk about disability, and I've talked to other people with autism on the show before, and they've talked to me about kind of the struggles of being autistic and queer, and I think this is the first time I've had somebody so plainly say to me, like, my autism and my disability, they dovetail each other, and that's like, to hear you say that is such a beautiful thing because very rarely even for me as a disabled person, and again, I'm speaking from a different type of disability, of course, but, like, I very rarely 
when I'm talking about stuff, or even if like, even if I do love my disability inside, I very rarely say like, oh yeah, I love how my disability informs this and it makes this better. So to hear you put that so plainly, I think is really powerful. Oh, well, that's the thing. I've grown to love being autistic. You know, I don't love everything about it. There are things about it that are disabling, but I think it, I think in some ways it has more to do with uh, being, trying to participate in an inaccessible society. But in general, I love being autistic because it forms the way I think and the way I see the world. And I think I see things really uniquely and kind of like beautifully. And it's just, you know, I embrace it. I, you know, when people are talking to, you know, people, um, you know, when pa- parents might come to me uh, talking about their autistic child, I just want to be to the, say to them, you know, nurture it, take like their take like you know their talents and work with those you know and understand their deficits because everyone has talents and deficits it's just autistic people are more likely to have certain ones and you know nurture them to be the person that they are meant to be you know there's like you know to express themselves the way that they are meant to express themselves because different forms of expression are valid whether it's your fashion or the way you communicate or your sexuality or your gender identity or things like that they're all valid totally and i think so often when we talk about disability and if we dare talk about disability and and gender identity or sexuality we don't look at things like the that how how the two can work together in a positive way and it's awesome that you've kind of honed that for yourself and are what are, are also taking what you've learned for yourself and putting it out in the world um yeah. for others to to see that there's a there's a definite i would say similarly to what i do it's kind of like triple capital in that you're saying yeah there's a power here so harness that yeah i i mean it's like it's it's like i it's the only thing that i know you know that that uh, neurotype is the only thing i know so i might as well just embrace it and work the best i can with it awesome um i want to ask you you mentioned in your pre-questionnaire one of the things you wrote down right away when i was looking at it today to put to put questions together you talk about um autism and intimacy and i'm curious how does autism affect intimacy for you like what like like how does that um how does that work for you like can you describe does does autism make intimacy feel more intense less intense well this is just me it's it's uh, it might be different for everyone but for me um there are times where I just, I don't want to be around people and it's like, I, I just want to be off by myself and I'd rather explore my, you know, my sexual, my sexuality, you know, myself, you know, self-pleasure and stuff like that. And there are times where it's like, I, oh, I absolutely crave touch and, and just like the all encompassing experience of being intimate and sexual with another person. Obviously in this case, my husband, um, and you know, there are, you know so it can go back and forth between wanting to be on my own and wanting to be with another person um i will say one positive thing is that i'm highly sensory i love how things feel and stuff like that 
And so that makes sex so much better. It really does. Tell me all the things about that. I'm so... (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really talk about it a lot because I don't have a lot of, like, disabled friends that I can really talk about it with. Oh, break it down. I mean, you're going to be sharing it. You're going to be sharing it with, like, the thousands like, let's be real, the five listeners of this show are going to be listening to you tell the story but if you oh, oh believe me my bosses are excited to listen to this and everything um oh hey uh, there's bosses hey what's up hi shout out hey no no uh you know dad mom louis you know uh this is a time where you should uh d- click out you know not listen you know if you want to keep your image of your sweet your child um but no this is gonna be like therapy for me i'm so ready Um, should i get my like therapist couch ready (laughs) oh yeah yeah oh which oh also which my therapist is is excited to listen to this episode too believe me i've got a lot of people so basically what you're saying is all of indianapolis is like ready for this episode to drop waiting with bated breath <laughs> that's yes. amazing hey Indianapolis, if you want me to come and do a talk there like i'm happy to let me know oh believe me we would love to have you at our at our school and i would actually we got so close to I, that too like we it was we were close to doing that and then money well, let me see what I can figure out. I seriously would. I I bet our office would love to have you. That but anyway, yeah. Back to the sex. Yeah. <laughs> back to back to the sex. Back back to what we're all here for. The juicy details. Um. Well, basically, it's just. Oh man, I love touch. I love touch so much. I'm one of these people me that like. If I too though. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I'm one of these people that, like, if I see something that's an interesting texture, but I can't touch it, I get frustrated. So frustrated. And there are times where I just absolutely crave touch. And when I'm in the right mood, it doesn't take a lot for me to to get excited, you know. It could just be, like, just, like, stroking on the arm or, like, or, like, you know, like a like a nibble on the ear or a kiss on the neck or something like that, just touching me the right way. And it's that, that can be just as good as sex. Seriously. Oh yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm fully there with you. And I've learned as a disabled person to kind of re I've remapped my erogenous zones where like, yeah, playing with the genitals is nice and I'm all there for that. Like let's, we can get down for that too. But, but there's something really powerful about things about, pl- about touch that isn't even sexual but intimate there's a there, i think there's a difference in touch and when you're yeah. disabled like i think we are um it you're you have to look at it differently and and so to be able to like to be able to, to touch somebody in, in that way can be really special yeah and i as uh having someone having fibro you know i'm constantly feeling pain pain all the time and to have pleasure is just such an amazing experience you know just to have that relief from from pain and have something have some positive sensory stimulation is is just the best thing yeah tell me more about that because i know i've talked to a lot of disabled people who have chronic pain issues as well and they say like they say sometimes like bdsm and and diverting the pain or 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 providing like like pain that they expect and consent to shifts like the pain for them and it's a it's a sexy pain because they've they 
asked for it versus it just coming up in their body. Does that how do how do you feel about that? Oh, I fully agree. That is that that you know consensual pain that is, is very different from non-consensual pain. I think it's the mental aspect that makes it more pleasurable. It's it's a it's a um sort of a sensory stimulation that you requested and there's like a power in being able to request how you know request how you feel you know because if you're constantly in pain or something like that it's it's just like you didn't ask for this you know and so you feel like it has control of you but when you get like that pleasurable pain you're in control of it and that gives I, I feel like that has sort of like a power play kind of into it that adds on to it. Oh yeah, and it makes I think it makes the sex that much more enjoyable because again, it flips the script and says you as a disabled person who is, you know, who we consider to be quote powerless, which we all know is not true, but in this oh, yeah. instance you can be you can really be powerful. Yeah, it's it's like it's like I am in control of my own body. I'm in control of what it feels like. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. I recently, I like not that long ago, I read a tweet from uh, Chronic Sex that said that some people find fibromyalgia relief from flogging, and I was like, "That's a thing." And I told my husband, "I'm like, honey, it's like." I think we need to try this. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. And hey, Chronic Sex. Hey, Kirsten. What up? Hey, hey. Um, they're great. I love I love them. They're awesome. Shout out. Shout oh, out. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I promoted them a lot in the, um, in the um, queer disability group that I led. Fantastic. We, and I, I definitely want to get into that with you because that's... Yeah. And that's, that's so... That's really, really important, especially... On like campuses, actually, let's let's do that question first. So you work okay. you work on a university campus, mm-hmm. um, and for which school again? Um, I'm not going to say just because um, I just want to make sure that people understand that the things that I'm saying are are just are strictly my own thoughts and feelings, and they're not associated with the school. But it is with a school in Indiana. Fantastic. So you work in this with this school in Indiana. Hey, school in Indiana, if you're if yeah. anybody from there is listening, reach out to me later. Um, yeah, either, yeah, you'll know who you are. You'll know who you are. <laughs> um, so you work at this campus, and you led a queer disability group, which is awesome because they're so rare in, like, the university spaces. I do so many. I did a talk uh, on this recording. I did a talk a few days ago for a university in Florida, and I did a, I did my my disability 101 like lecture my hey i'm i'm your queer cripple like lecture um and you know i spent the whole hour, i did my spiel i did my job and then i i spent most of the hour trying to get the trying to get the students to like talk to me about these things and they were all shy and nervous and didn't you know whenever i give these talks they're always really shy so the fact that you were leading a group about sex and disability like especially in a queer like university space it just blows my mind because it's rare how did all that come about oh well um someone actually went to the office and uh they used to run these uh community groups where you would have um people from um 
a particular community get together and socialize or talk about issues and stuff like that. Like you had ones for men, women, um, middle sexualities, trans and non-binary people, people of color. Um, there's probably a few others that I totally forgot. Um, but one person asked if there could be a disability group. And so, uh, one of the people that was an ambassador, um, there, he was a graduate student ambassador he approached me because he was the TA for a class that I was in on on um, AIDS and society. And I was and he said, hey, you're very open about your sexuality and, you know, your life and things like that. I would love for you to lead this group. And so I agreed to it. And, and so for like my, my last semester, I you know, I would do weekly meetings and we'd talk about, uh, you know, various things. Uh, like we started with sort of like an intro to disability because a lot of people found that it was easier to come out as queer than it was to come out as disabled. Which yeah. is yeah. really interesting. No, I can, I can totally relate to that. It's so easy to be like, hey, I'm a, I like, you know, I like either... I like different genders or, or my, the same gender or I have a different identity. It's, it feels a lot easier to say that than to be like, oh, I'm disabled because queer, queer in our, in, well, queer today doesn't necessarily mean less than now. In some circles yeah. it does, but in most circles it means like, you're open, you're cool, you you know, things happen and blah, blah. Like, it doesn't matter what you, who you love or what you are, you're, you're valid. Whereas like, disabled still has this this idea of like you are definitely less than and i'm gonna see you as that yeah exactly and that that's just sort of because it was it was sort of heartbreaking like all these people just started coming out of the woodwork and especially a lot of people that were dealing with mental illness uh, and you know a common question that i had was does mental illness count as a disability and it was like of course if it's impacting your life of course it counts as a disability so, uh, because we know that uh, in in the LGBTQ community, mental illness is a major factor because of things like discrimination and stuff like that. Totally. Yep. Yep. Completely. So, and then it, when you add just, when you add ableism to that too, like it's just yeah, totally. Exactly. And so, um, you know, eventually they, you know, the students they were starting to ask questions like, well, how do you navigate dating and and you know and stuff like that and. So I'm I'm curious because like it's it's in it's in Indianapolis, which is like the middle of the middle, and <laughs> and so I'm curious like what was the turnout of this group? Like was it the people? Was there a lot? Uh there it was. Well, it was a newer group, and it was on Fridays when there weren't a lot of people on campus. But there were a few people. There was a good amount of people. There'd be like about five to seven people at a time. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Because I remember tra- like I remember talking about disability at my campus thing years and years ago and like one or two would show up yeah yeah they, we had some small days but it, we, we didn't have the best time slot uh hopefully this year if they get a um a student um leader it'll have a better time slot but um but no we had we had decent turnouts from t- uh from time to time it's awesome um and it's so cool it's so awesome that like students would want to really talk about this stuff because i find when i bring up like again like I was saying people bring me in to do these talks all the time and when I bring up the same topics in front of 
people. And I, I said, okay, now is the time where you can ask me anything. We can have this discussion. Everybody's like, oh, no. And the, I end up having to, like, pull questions out of them, out of, like, and they're, they're uncomfortable. And I'm like, I wish that we could talk about this more. And then two or three weeks later, I'll get emails being like, oh, my God, you were at, the, you were at our talk. And, like, thank you. And I had five questions. Here they are. And I'm like, I wish you ha- had asked me in front of everybody so we could have a full-on conversation so the fact that there was this group at this school is really is really cool yeah and one of the flip sides of it was that i also did information on disability for non-disabled lgbtq students and those were really interesting as well because they had lots of questions and there were a lot of things that they said they never really thought about or realized yeah and that i mean that's also a part of the education where i think like i would love to lead a group with with a mixture of disabled students and non-disabled students and have the non-disabled students really say, like, really confront their ableism. And I think had I had that, like, 15 years ago when I went to school, I would have felt so much more at home than I did. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, it's, it's really, like, like it's re- it's been really rewarding to be able to be trusted enough to talk, to be seen as, like, someone that they can take seriously about these matters. Yeah. You know, because, like, I just, like, oh, I I feel like I, I deal with self-doubt all the time, and I'm just like, oh, I'm no every expert Every second of every day, like, I, I, yeah, and I constantly say to people, they always will say, oh, you're an expert in sex and disability, and my very second slide for every talk I ever give is, like, P.S., definitely not an expert just here to share my story thanks yeah exactly it's like these these people put like this whole like expert thing on you and you're just like no i'm just talking about what i live this is just my life yeah and then like the pressure to (laughs) to be like to give them all the right answers is like i don't know anything sorry yeah like i'm actually going to do a presentation at a conference on making the community more accessible to disabled people and i'm just kind of like oh my god big ol imposter syndrome is is kicking in every yeah that's me like every time i have to do anything professional i'm like what i can't no 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 you picked the wrong person i'm not the one for you sorry yeah but i gotta remind myself that you know these people looked at my at my uh my proposal and they thought it was a good enough thing to be presented at the conference and you know so they have trusted me but then there's the whole thing of like oh i can't let them down i gotta give them accurate information but you know i'm just taking it a little you know a little bit of time it's a small conference so it so it's probably like a good starter conference You, you, you got this you'll be you'll be fantastic i'm sure i hope so i i already know there's gonna be a couple people there that are look that are going to be coming in there are looking forward to learning more that's that's so awesome um how now because you've worked in the the university environment and you've done that how do you think the university queer environment is inaccessible to the disabled queer student right now and how what would you suggest to make it more accessible oh well you know what i'm really lucky because this university is also where i completed my degree and um, they have been trying, making strides in trying to make, um, make the community a more accessible place with, uh, disability representation and, um, you know, an information and educational, um, um, 
educational experiences and stuff like that. My school is a very um, like civically minded place. There's a lot of emphasis on being a, a on a contributing to your community and in recognizing marginalized communities as well. Um, and so the um, the philosophy of the office that I work in uh, has been very similar. You know, they've been, you know, they're kind of new to making things more accessible and they're kind of learning, but I feel like I've been really lucky to work and study in a relatively accessible space. Now, outside of that, the community is, is, isn't as understanding or accessible. Right. But I mean, it's, it's, kind of awesome because you're in the because you're in middle america and our preconceptions of like middle america and the the mindset of people that live there would suggest that they weren't so open but the fact that in this little space you can feel so free to be yourself is super nice well it's it basically if you're if you're any way different from the standard midwesterner stick to indianapolis or bloomington where the major college campuses are yeah and I, you'll when be i was at bloomington I, li- I liked bloomington a lot i liked like I, I went there to do a talk probably two years ago now and i have to say that was it was a really nice college town and i really yeah i really enjoy the way that i was treated there yeah i yeah i yeah stick with indy or bloomington if you're queer and you'll be just fine <laughs> um but um yeah, I um, I feel like I've been really spoiled in a certain way by living in by um, going to living um, not living but working and studying at a campus that is actively trying to be more accessible. They may not be perfect all the time, but they're trying. They are eager to learn. Yeah, and and I, I think I think the trying part is. The trying part is the most important part of what you're saying because, like, they're not—they're exactly. not 100%, and I don't think anybody ever has to be. But the, if you—if you try, especially when it comes to disability, especially when it comes to like multi-marginalized communities, mm-hmm. then you're then you're going to be so much further off than if you didn't try at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you if you're at least making the effort, then uh, you know, thumbs up to you. Awesome. That's and I think that's so great. So. So, Nameless University, kudos to you. So, but but what advice would you give to say the the universities that maybe aren't as that maybe are still trying to find their footing on how to do that? What advice would you give to um, to queer clubs at universities that want to be more accessible? Like, did you do you have any ideas around that? I would say the biggest thing is to reach out, reach out to the disability community. You know actively say hey we want to learn more about you we want to learn more about how you're multiply marginalized and we want you to come into our space and help transform our space to be accessible to you to be uh, welcoming to you you know you have the you know go to the experts uh, about disability disabled people you know, it's just, it might be a little scary. You might not know exactly how to do it, but just, you know, open yourself up, introduce yourself, however you do with other marginalized communities and encourage, encourage them to say, hey, we want to learn more and we want to learn more directly from you. 
That is totally good advice. And also, any university admins that are listening, go on Twitter and type in queer disabled. Like, everyone that we know and everyone that I know, a lot of people that we know, will pop up in your feed and follow all of them and say, hey, I'm a university admin. Can I talk to you about this? I want to make my, my, my university center better. Can we have a chat about this? Can we bring you on as a consultant for like really start mind because Twitter is such an accessible platform for so many of us um, and that's where you'll find a lot of disabled queers on there yeah exactly I'm a PR major and uh, part of my job at the center is doing uh, doing social media and so um, we have a lot of people reaching out through there yeah go through social media find out what people are talking about that's the easiest way that you can put an ear out to the community and then encourage encourage you know say hey we want to learn more and, and encourage them to become involved because there are there could be students that want there to be better services more accessible services but they don't feel comfortable you know speaking out they need to they're worried that they're going to be rebuffed or anything like that they need to know that you are welcoming them that you want to hear from them so it's 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 really i mean and we're especially talking about younger you know you know late teens early yeah, 20, like younger adults 17 to like 22 is the yeah is like the university market um yeah you, you don't ha- you don't have you they don't have necessarily the experience of speaking up for themselves. So you no. got to give them, you got to give them an open. Yeah. And they might not want to go and talk to like university admins, but they will maybe want to go on Twitter and use certain hashtags around disability to get their point across. So look up those hashtags, like just yeah. type in hashtag disability and, and yeah. everything will come right up for you. Yeah. Get on their level, get, go into their, go into their spaces and, observe and find out what they're saying and use that as a jumping off point. Yeah. And I think also if you're like, if you're talking to, to young disabled queer university students also like to realize that, that realize your privilege when you talk to them about bringing them on and always try to find a way to compensate them for their time. Cause yeah. you're often asking them to, you know, you, you you might be unintentionally tokenizing them when you bring up this stuff. So try to remember that, like, if you want to talk to them about disability, you know, find a way to compensate them for, for telling you their story. Yeah, treat them like a source. Treat them like like you're contracting them, you know? Even something as simple as, honestly, something as simple as free pizza or something like that. I would love it if somebody was like, responses. yeah, I would love it if somebody was like, hey, Andrew, um... We don't have, like, the funds to, to pay you right now, but we will buy you lunch if you come and talk to them, if you come and, like, oh, yeah. like, consult with us for an hour about this. I would, when I was 20, if my queer university center had said that to me, I'd be like, sure, great, I'm down for it, let's go. Yeah, yeah, free food will, it will make, it will get people to you in droves. Free, so, yeah. if it's something simple like that, you know, that will, that will easily work and that's usually in your budget believe me i know <laughs> i've seen those but i've seen those food budgets <laughs> it's totally doable um and especially yeah. in university towns too like those pe- those pizza deals were are like really good 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially, yeah. Usually have some mom and pop pizza place or something Those like that. Those are my That's favorite really in the Midwest. Those, like, tiny college mom and pop shops that show up in, like, college towns. They're the best pizza you'll ever have. Oh, I got to tell you about this uh, local pizza chain that we have. It's called Hotbox Pizza. Yes, it's a weed joke. And one of their promotions is they hand out condoms. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, they hand out condoms at at events. That's that's I that I was not expecting that. <laughs> yeah, they wow. hand out condoms and they're cups that people like to collect. Like they do, like they have like these to go cups that they like to do promotions with and stuff like that. But yeah, those and condoms and it's it, it's like they definitely know their target audience, the the college age crowd. That's awesome. That's like yeah. a, a, hey Hotbox. Uh, I know you're not listening to this, but if you are. Hit me up. Let's have a chat about. That's cool. That you give. That's really <laughs> awesome. You hand out condoms. It's great. Um, let's shift away from from talking about university and college stuff for a second, and let's go back to you and your awesomeness and talk about your experiences as an autistic person in the LGBTQ community. How have they been for you? Like, how is how do you find that? You mentioned earlier that like there are so many more autistic people who are probably queer. But how have you navigated the community, both communities of of the autistic community and the queer community? Um, well, when it comes to the mainstream queer community, sometimes it's a little difficult because there's a lot of um, really like loud events, um, stuff like that. Um, you know, loud, crowded, just, you know, an autistic nightmare. Um, and so trying to find alternate kinds of events is um or alternate ways to meet people is um is can be kind of tricky i mean sometimes i could deal with the occasional club or bar um I you know can't. i have I... I i mean i i i have ways of coping i have i have uh these custom molded earplugs that i'll just pop in and i'll be like oh yeah i can listen to this all night because I am hearing half of a shit. <laughs> but um, if there were alternatives to meeting people, like say like quieter activities or like say like someone were to create like a instead of a gay bar, like a gay coffee shop or something like that, you know, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. And it'd be more accessible to a broader group of people. I mean, what if it wasn't even, what if it was, like, a queer disabled coffee shop? Like, that would be, yeah. that would oh, be, seriously. Like, if we're dreaming of things I want to create, because I'm, I'm with you about, I don't want to go to the club and hear, like, Rihanna songs all night while trying to, while trying to flirt with the person that I want to get down with. I want to sit with you for coffee, I want to buy you the coffee, and then I want to hope that we'll get naked after. Like, Oh, yeah. Or not, but I want there to be a chance for us to, like, have a conversation about that together, you know? And, like... I'm not. A, I am at 34. I'm so no longer a club guy. I mean, yeah, I, I feel like I feel out of place in clubs and stuff like that now too. I mean, I'm 33 and I'm really boring, so I'm just like, you know, I like I like concepts like, um, you know, like Flame Con in New York City. You know, the queer sci-fi geekery convention. I'm so down for that. Yes, yes. I love that idea so much, and con and cons like that usually tend to be more accommodating to disabled people, especially autistic people and other neurodivergent people. You know, I, they often they often have things like you know, like 
quiet rooms and and stuff like that and uh wheelchair access seating and, and all of those things and it's just like I feel more at home in those kinds of places and I've not you know what? I've never been to a queer con of any sort um but it's my dream oh well I would love yeah sometime my bucket list includes going to flame con I I mean my husband and I love cons period and he's really grown to enjoy queer events as well um so I definitely would love to do Flame Con sometime. We should, we should, we should, <laughs> there should be a convoy of queer disabled people that just go down. Exactly. And, and their mascots, one of them is a wheelchair user. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. One of their mascots is a wheelchair user. That's awesome. That's, that's great. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So they know, they know the kind of people that they're, that they're going for. They know their audience for sure. Yeah, um, but yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, nothing. Uh, go right ahead. Uh, I don't know. I don't know where. I, <laughs> tell me about like so your relationship with your husband. It's so often when we talk about relationships, usually it's one person dealing with disabilities, and then kind of hoping the other person's okay with it. How is like? I want to ask this delicately because I don't want to be like, how's your relationship? But I just mean like, how is, how is. Your how is your husband's relationship with your disability? Oh, he's amazing. He is, he is amazing. He he admits when he doesn't understand something, but he tries to learn. And he's he's been with me through the development of a lot of my disabilities, like my fibromyalgia and stuff like that. He's been amazing. Uh, he understands. He knows when to let me take control of something, uh, to do something my way. He's easy to. He, he can easily adjust to changes and stuff like that. He's really, he's just great. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like, oh, I'm so grateful to have him because that makes it sound, that just Aimlessy sounds icky. and weird, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, it's, wouldn't anyone feel lucky to have, disabled or not, to have someone that's like so agreeable and understanding of them? Totally. And I think yeah. that, and I think it's awesome when especially you're disabled, and this might sound weird navelessly, and I'm gonna try to make it not sound that way. But when you're when you're disabled and you meet somebody who doesn't know everything and is willing to like try to get it with you, that's f- hot as fuck. I think oh, when yeah. somebody like admits that they don't know everything and they're just gonna let's just try. Yeah, he's he's really good at being an ally in like the. Well, I, I guess, like, the new thing is that I don't want an ally, I want an accomplice. He's an accomplice. I like that one. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, anyone could be an ally. What I really want is an accomplice. He's he's definitely an accomplice. He's like that with, both with, you know, my disabilities and my mental health and stuff like that. And also with the LGBTQ community. He is he is such an ally. He He tries to learn as much as he can, and then he tries to he knows his he knows his place as like a a cishet white able-bodied guy and he elevates marginalized voices and he's just like i'm just like god damn what did i do to get him you know he's just he he on all those fronts he's just pretty damn amazing that's awesome uh and i want to i want to kind of delve more into that a little bit so so, do you have any specific autism relationship stories with him or, like, with the two of you that you want to share? 
oh, let me think, you know, because it's just, it's just considered to be sort of our normal. It's just, he totally understand like he just knows what to do whenever i'm like having say having a meltdown or something like that or i'm i've got too much sensory stimulation or you know or just something's too uncomfortable like he knows that you know i love stuffed animals because they're just so i love the feel of the softness so, yeah, yeah i'm there with you i have a stuffed lobster on my bed right now and he's the greatest yeah like i have so many stuffed animals it's ridiculous and he's so he's just like if if he like fine if we're at a store and he sees like an a stuffed animal or a shirt that's like particularly soft or something like that he's like you gotta get this because he knows that it's going to make my life so much better um you know he he knows to he knows to be calm whenever i'm having a meltdown or something like that and he'll be like what do you need he'll ask me what i need he won't assume that i need a particular thing he'll ask me and you know there are times where i go nonverbal and i use a speech app or i'll use a little bit of like you know nonverbal communication okay. and he's really good he's really good with that he's really adjusted to it and he's helped me kind of make it feel more normal when I do that. That's, I mean, I think, I think that level of accommodating is, it can take time to figure that out, but it's awesome that he's stuck around to, to, to see that through. And again, I don't want to give him like overt praise and be like, he's way, I don't want to make it sound ableistic, but I do think there's a real awesomeness to that. Um, How does all of that affect your, if I can be, a little, if I can go a little bit deeper, how does all mm-hmm. that affect your sex life with him? Oh, uh, well, um, well, the thing is, my my our sex life has taken a little bit of hit because of my fibromyalgia, but um, you know, it's it's um, huh, you know, it's you know, it's really it's he really uh, he tries to like understand what gets me going and everything he's the big thing is that he's very big on consent you know he's really good with like is this do you like this do you not like this if if i'm uncomfortable with something i i I know that i can tell him to stop and he'll be okay um but he he kind of likes it when i take control anyway so it's kind of easy for me to be like, I want this kind of stimulation. That's awesome. I, I love taking control, but I'm also super subby in the sex I like to have. I like to give control to somebody so I can just enjoy the moment. But I think given all the stuff we talked about today and like how your disability may manifest itself, that control can feel super liberating and it can be super hot. Yeah, it can be. It definitely can be. I kind of like the idea of like the, you know, of like the like submissive dom or like dominant sub kind of thing that I want to uh, I've wanted to like play with and, and and stuff. There there's a whole bunch of different things that I've wanted to try out. I think really think um with my autism and especially with my fibro and stuff like that, I've become more open to different types of sexual gratification that I've really been wanting to try out. Do you want to name a few of those cool things? 
Okay, well, there's one thing that I can easily get, like, aroused by music. The right music is, okay. is just, it can be extremely sexy. And it'd be like, if I were to just be, like, tied to a chair and blindfolded and just, like, the right, like, like the right music is playing and like i'm being teased and stuff like that that would just be amazing so like what's your you like, know so what's your like fuck jam then oh, my fuck jam oh my gosh oh man you know i like a lot of chill out music you know zero seven stuff like that whoa zero seven awesome yeah oh my god i love that kind of stuff uh, i have that playing all the time uh, but i would say the first song that made me realize that music can be super hot was six underground by sneaker pimps i recognize the name i don't recognize the song i won't sing it because i don't want to hurt your ears <laughs> but um it's a fairly well-known song uh but um yeah that's the first song that made me be like i want to jump on somebody right now <laughs> and so, like, I know all, and just to go off on a weird tangent, I know from my other people that I've talked to with autism that music is, like, a really kind of calming, centering thing. Does that, does having that kind of music on affect the the way autism is for you during the sex? Uh, it can, it can, it really can. Um, I, I haven't, like, I haven't had sex a lot with music playing like i haven't been like starting to get into acting and been like hold on alexa play such and such <laughs> and, and i just activated my alexa amazing <laughs> uh, but um you know but it's just like oh, man it it really can it, it it gives sort of like a multi a multi-sensory experience that's what i like you know like you know the say like the feel of the sheets you know the sounds that are playing you know um the way my husband smells you know all that stuff i like it to be i like sex to be a multi-sensory experience well because and I, and I think all of us do but i think especially because you're disabled and your whole experience of disability it sounds like is very multi-sensory so mm. to have each of those senses kind of played with in a way that is positive and sexual is probably a totally different feeling for you. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's. I love the immer. I I love like an immersive experience. That's awesome. That's. I, yeah. I think, and I think that you being autistic, in a way, can make the your sense of intimacy and sexuality so much better. Yeah, and the thing about being autistic and being sexual is like i it feels almost a little rebellious is sort of like a like a sort of like a like a like a fuck you to the neurotypical world because you know the assumption that we're non-sexual beings yeah and if you are sexual it has to be from a cishet normative yeah idea yeah yeah yeah, it's like I can be sexual in a in, like it lets me be sexual in like a non-traditional way, and it's just it, it feels like kind of like it, it feels liberating, you know? Like just I can approach sex from a neurodiverse way, and it just makes it so much more interesting. 
and it sounds like it's it sounds like it's opened up a whole new world for you, which I think is so like. And we don't often hear. Again, I love that this whole conversation has been you kind of sharing that your neurodiversity and all the things that you live with are actually one hundred percent positives for you. Oh yeah, I mean, like there are some negative elements, but of you course. know, it's something that I totally embrace, and I would not have it any other way. That that makes me so happy, and I love this talk so much. Um, yeah, we've done our questions. It's, we're we're there. We're there. Um, you're awesome. Is ah. there anything you want to let the world know about you before we go? Ah, uh, just um. Uh, about me, I'm, I don't know, I'm just, I'm a pretty, I don't know, just, uh, I don't know, I just, I, I guess I would just say, um, just in general, practice empathy, you know, I think empathy would, you know, helps with realizing other ways of living and other ways of experiencing life, including sex, and, you know, you know, I just, um, cause I'm a highly empathetic person to the point where it almost hurts. And I feel that if we're able to develop our sense of empathy, it makes living much richer and it makes, you know, sex and everything else just much better because it's a better experience and you're bonding with other people. Yeah. And disability really helps us to bond in, so like... I find that disability makes my attachments to people, whether we're talking about sexually, romantically, like friendship-wise, disability has allowed those bonds to become deep really fast. And I yeah. I love that so much because when if I'm into you in, in any kind of way, I'm into you like that. Yeah, and it makes, uh, it makes for a filter of like, it clears away people that, like bad, you know, bad influences, bad elements, because the people that aren't worthwhile don't stick around the people that do stick around are worth your time and you can have those kinds of bonds with those people totally totally um sarah how do people get a hold of you well um i am accessible on facebook uh at, under sarah cahill camps uh you can talk to me on twitter at cheese pickles <laughs> um, you can uh, see me on Instagram at Henry underscore Slinkman. Um, I come up with weird names influenced by various comedy stuff. I have um, so many questions about your Twitter name. Uh, yeah, well, um, I, you, you, I'm a dirty secret. I used to be a Dan Cook fan and that was from one of his bits. <laughs> Amazing. And, uh, yeah, and of course, you can check out my blog, uh, mygenderiscatlady.wordpress.com, and I promise you I will be putting stuff on there soon. Um, there's an introductory, but in the meantime, there's an introductory post where I introduce myself a little bit, and um, there'll be some stuff on there soon. So, yeah, you can access me through most any uh, uh, most any portal. Fantastic, Sarah, and I'll be sure to, this is such a fun conversation, and I, I just, I really enjoyed it, and thank you so much for coming on. I will, oh, thank you. Oh, no, I loved having you. Um, I will put all this in the show notes, because I want everybody to follow you and your work. You're just, you're just a delight to talk to. Um, oh, thank you. And it, and I, <laughs> it was so fun, so that's all, I'm just gonna, I can't stop gushing over how much I enjoyed this. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, thanks.
Thank you so much. I believe me, I was so excited to be on here. I'm so I'm so so glad. Um, and we should. I'd love to talk to you more about stuff later. Oh, absolutely! Fantastic. All right, we'll talk soon. All right. Bye. Bye bye. All right, so that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. I'm, of course, your host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. If you want to follow my work, you can head on over to www.andrewgerza.com or follow me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza. You can also follow the Disability After Dark podcast on Twitter by following DisAftDarkPod. You can also follow our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disabilityafterdark. It would also be super awesome if you could leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can hear about the show. And if you are able and want to support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash cripple content. This way we can do, do things like get better equipment, you help me make a living doing this thing. You help support content made but made by and for people with disabilities. So I can't thank you enough. And you can pledge whatever you can and as little as $1 a month to make it as financially accessible as possible. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time right here on Disability After Dark. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations with music by Chris Ujiuchi. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Crippled Content Creations 2018